I get a new nurse and she said exactly what you said, Tricia. She said, if cord prolapse was going to happen, it was going to happen. Like you don't need to be in bed. You can get up and move around. So the, the reason she said I could get out of bed was because she brought the pit machine in. I, I, I think I did wait for her permission though. I, you know, good girl mentality over here, like rule follower. Um, this is not when I wasn't fierce Lizzie yet. <laughs> I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. I'm so happy to be here with you guys today, Cynthia and Trisha. Um, my name is Lizzie, aka Fierce Lizzie online. It's my online persona that I try to channel in real life too. Um, and this isn't my first time on your show. So I was on the show previously, episode 146. If you want to go listen, we talked about autonomy and really like asserting and being fierce about your birth plan. Um, but today we're going to, I'm going to share my my personal birth stories and kind of how that led me to where I am today in the birth world. Can you also just say your last name for us, Lizzie? Oh yeah. That was my favorite outtake <laughs> we've ever had. And ever, we had one where we're learning how it. to say your name is my favorite outtake. So yeah. And, and like, we'll just get this on the record again too. So Lizzie Bolliger. It's very easy, Bolliger. everyone. It's very yeah. easy. There's no N. Never mind that it took us five or 10 tries the first time. And that's ball as in B-O-L, not. I Maybe mean, that's why it's ball and not bowl, because every time someone starts with bowl, they go into. Bowling. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. All right. Let's anyway, proceed. I just wanted to make sure we had that on the record <laughs> before we begin. Very important things. Okay. So I, I'm going to try to remember details because this was my oldest is 10. So this was over 10 years ago. And birth is already fuzzy. Like, you know, it, it, it's hard to remember some of the details, but with my first, I went into birth really trusting my body and trusting that I could birth this baby. I distinctly remember my mother telling me like, all you have to do is tell yourself that you can do it. And as soon as that baby's out, the pain will be gone. And that's what she told me. And I was like, cool, I can do that. I read a hypnobirthing book. I had a big belief in my, in my body. And I was so underprepared for what birth was going to be like. At this point, I didn't know anything about home birth. So of course I was in a hospital. I was in a military hospital and my mom, my mom was actually there. So my husband at the time was deployed. So it was just me my mom and my little sister. And, um, I walk into the hospital and this is the first introduction into the military hospital. I walk in and this will be forever in my brain. This big, large OB comes up to me and says, cause my waters had broken. And so my waters broke and I went, I ate dinner and went in right away. Right. I don't know anything about birth other than that. I want an unmedicated birth. As soon as I get there and he knows my waters are broken, he says, we need to start you on Pitocin. We need to get this baby out in 12 hours. And that was my first experience having to advocate for what I wanted. You know, I, I think a lot of women 
have never really been in the medical system, you know, knock on wood, thankfully, like we're blessed to have, you know, these healthy lives. And then we get thrown into the medical system and we don't even know how to navigate that. But I knew enough to know that I didn't like, I I wanted my body to do its job. So I was like, I I felt so tiny, the biggest I've ever been. And I felt so small. And I was like, um, I really would just like to see if my body will, will start labor on its own. And he said, okay, well then you have 24 hours. And he, you know, so quick to change that time limit on me. And so he went from 12 to 24, like nothing. Yeah. He was just, he was just being pushy. And, and I said, no, you know, and then he changed his tune and lucky for me, I don't know how long he was there, but very shortly after I was admitted, there was a shift change. And I, the midwife that I loved that I had like requested for all my appointments, she came in and really I attribute me getting through without the epidural to her, but I still had like every single hospital intervention along the way. So I declined, did labor on my own for, I I don't even know how many hours, but it got to a certain point where I was seven centimeters. So you know, all the cervical checks happening, even though my waters are broken. I was at seven centimeters. They come back in a couple hours. They check me again. You're still at seven centimeters. I'm quote unquote stuck, right? I'm stuck at seven centimeters. It hasn't even been 24 hours yet. I don't know. I don't know what time this was, but I remember being stuck at seven and I don't know how they worded. I don't know if they asked, like you have the option to keep going. You, you I, I think it was just implied that we need to start Pitocin because you're stuck. So I ended up still on Pitocin. Um, and I, I, I always kind of explain, I always thought that my labor was so hard because of the Pitocin. But when we get into my second birth and I'll just spoiler alert this part, but it was just as hard. So I don't know, maybe it was a really conservative amount of Pitocin. I have no idea. But on the Pitocin, I did ask for the epidural. I I, I made my mom call the nurse. I was because I knew I didn't want it. I didn't want it, but I wanted it. You know, it was getting so tough. And um, I had my mom call the nurse and, and ask for the epidural. And the midwife came in and I was trying to like rest and lay down. And she, she was so was like, you know, you're so close and this, we can stay on your birth plan if you just keep going a little bit longer. So it really truly was her that got me through to the end with no epidural. Um, but yeah, so on the Pitocin, we definitely did some coached pushing at this point. I do remember them being really concerned with the monitors. They were like, Oh, the monitors like, Oh, you're in the shower. Cause I wanted to be in the shower the whole time. And they, we have to fix the monitor. So I'm not sure if there was some fetal distress going on or if they were just being how they are, you know, obsessed with the the fetal monitor. Yeah. Just really feeling like in the dark, you know, like I I didn't know what was going on. when When you have continuous fetal monitoring, that is what they become completely focused on. Everything becomes Mm -hmm. about watching that strip and looking for deviations Mm -hmm. from normal. A lot of the focus is then taken off you and it just it's like honing in somebody sitting in the nurse's yep. station, just eyes glued to that Watch. monitor. Yep. I really believe if there had been fetal distress, they would have been happy to tell you that <laughs> and to, and to have some other intervention. But as Trisha was saying, when there's continuous monitoring, the way I see it is that the monitor becomes the 
the focal point. The monitor becomes the patient. In essence, we mm-hmm. have to manage the monitor. The monitor has to be in the right position. We have no, to get the right. feedback from the monitor. It's and like mother is brushed aside. Wait, you can't go to the bathroom right now. You can't go in the shower. The monitor, but the monitor's needs because that's what they're focusing on more than the woman. And I have many uh, oppositions to electronic fetal monitoring. You know, they're really not. They're not. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not evidence based for low risk women. But one of the biggest ones is that we all pay attention to it. You can have a woman in labor who's now got her focus on the monitor. You can have her partner now focusing on the monitor. Mm-hmm. So it's highly distracting at best. So my guess is you didn't have fetal distress or you would have heard about it. But what, anyway, what, what happened? Yeah. Right, right. So then, so, and I also had, there was meconium. So from the, from the start of waters breaking, there, it was meconium stained waters. Um, and then, so, with the, with the pushing, you know, I said, I didn't want to be on my back. I, we did do some like squatting and, but they were, boy, were they rushing me? Right. Because they're like, well, you know, you're not really being effective with your pushing. Cause I wasn't doing coach pushing. I was just trying to get through the contractions, honestly. Right. And just breathing. And so I do remember at one point, like squatting on the side of the bed and then saying, you know, you're not making you're not making any progress. It's not effective. And we ended up pushing with um, me on my back. I don't know if I was quite in like lithotomy position, but we were doing um, like a tug of war. So she had the midwife had a sheet and I had the sheet and I was pulling. And I just remember them like really rushing me. Like they wanted to get this baby out. At this point, I am like, you know, just trying to push, push, push with all my might. There's all these people coming in the room, right? Because the meconium stained fluids, and um, all these strangers, I remember a man like introducing himself to me as I'm butt naked on the bed, like pushing my baby out. So strange. Uh, and then when she came out, they immediately, you know, cut the cord and took her. And this part was so like such an out of body experience. All my pain is gone. The midwife is stitching me up because I did tear. They're working on my baby over there. Nobody's telling me what's going on. I look over to my mom and my mom looks terrified. Like she, cause she had like a different point of view than me. Um, they ended up bagging her. I think that's what it's called. So she did, she aspirated on the meconium and they took her and they didn't, I don't think they had a NICU, but they took her over to the nursery and they put her in antibiotics and oxygen. And I didn't even see her. She was born at four in the afternoon. I don't think I saw her until the next morning. You didn't see her until the next morning. I I can't remember. Maybe maybe that maybe I didn't hold her till the next morning. Maybe I went and saw her, but I didn't actually physically pick her up and hold her. So until the next. So you morning. didn't have skin to skin after birth. You didn't have latching at the breast. She wasn't. She was just nope. taken right at birth. She aspirated. She did aspirate. I, I I mean I don't they I don't know. She didn't cry for a while. I didn't see anything. They had to like. They said they had to bag her. I don't know. So that's that's uh, uh, one of the first steps of resuscitation. Mm-hmm. So what, she, what is it? To explain what it is. Um, it's it's ventilation, positive pressure. It's a little bag they put over the mouth, like CPR, but with a bag. Instead of somebody blowing into the mouth, they use a bag to help inflate her lungs because she wasn't transitioning to extra uterine breathing. So, so yeah, that, and I always say, it's like, okay, I got to my goal, my goal. I walked in, I said, I have a big belief in birth. I I don't want an epidural. And I achieved that, but look, they like, who, who knows, who knows if she would have aspirated, but you know, we can also point at the Pitocin that I was on 
um, because that can increase the risk of aspiration. So really, can I say, is this, is this false in saying like, they ruined like the most important part of my birth for me. Right. So um, having that belief really like, was it enough? Right. But it took me really learning to go back and reflect on that experience and even know how like wrong it was. So, oh, and the funny thing is too, she was born exactly like 21 hours after my waters broke. So they still got their, their wishes of a baby being out in 24 hours. So wait, and how many hours, and every how many hours before you started Pitocin? I, that I don't remember. So I got to seven, seven centimeters and I walked in with like hardly any contraction. So I think I was, I think I was only on Pitocin maybe for four, five hours, probably. But if you were seven centimeters, you were obviously your body was doing its job without the Pitocin. Yeah, and yeah. I just also want listeners to know that there is no such thing as, quote, stuck. Uh, and when we tell women they're stuck, it doesn't mean anything. It's important to replace that word in your mind because it's intimidating and we do feel like we need help when we hear it, but it isn't true at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are reasons that labor stalls. It's an art. It isn't a science. It can stall for hours mm-hmm. at a certain point. That's why we're not fans of vaginal exams to begin with. It's better off not having the information, but you know, babies can take a break. I mean, they're laboring as well and they can take a break and they can rest and they can right. sleep and they can they are still fine and safe in there, no matter how long it is taking them. Um, so that excuse for Pitocin is something we don't want to, we don't want women to think is really legitimate because it is not a good, and look at what happened. All of this could have been specifically because of the Pitocin. Really? Mm-hmm. You. Absolutely. And, and I was, I was quote unquote stuck because they were looking at that 24 hour clock, which it achieved their goal, you know? So that was my first experience, you know, quick and quick and dirty version. And then five years later, I'm, I'm pregnant again. And I am so cocky. Like, I, I don't know if I'm busy because I have like a kid and a, a full-time job now and, or, or what, but I'm like, I did it, did it once I can do it again. And I literally did nothing. I didn't read any birth books. I, I, I did nothing. I didn't take a class. The only thing I did was tour the hospital. So it was like a brand new woman center attached to the hospital. And so I went in to tour it and it was great, right? New facility. The woman that did the tour was the hospital. She's a nurse, but she's also an IBCLC and she's great. She runs like a a biweekly breastfeeding support group. Wonderful woman. She's showing me all this awesome stuff. She's like, Oh yeah. You want to, you're, you're going to go natural. Cool. We've got this. We've got this. We've got the, the, the squat bar. We've got the peanut balls. We've got this. Look at the shower. It has a little, um, jet right here. So you can sit on the bench and have the jet on your back. And she's just hyping me up. She even like recommended a pediatrician. She's like, okay, I think I know what, which pediatrician you want to see in town. Right. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good. But guess who's not there when I walk into the hospital? She's not there. <laughs> okay. So we actually walked in. Um, again, my waters broke. My waters broke at 11 o'clock at night. Still don't know anything. Went straight into the hospital because that's what I'm told to do. Um, like contractions haven't even started yet. It's New Year's Eve at 11 o'clock. So we're driving into the hospital. It's midnight. There's fireworks going off. We're so excited. We're going to go have our baby. Uh, 
And we walk into to L&D and they're literally having a party. Like they have party hats on. They have like food, cake. And I have this older nurse assigned to me. So they confirm that it's fluids. I go in and she's like, well, with, with rupture of membranes, you know, it's really dangerous to be up and walking around because you could cord prolapse. And I've seen a cord prolapse and you don't want to do that. It's so scary. I'm pretty sure she even told me, she's like, I had to stick my hand in that, in that mother. And then we had to go wheel into the OR. So you better just stay in this bed. I guess she doesn't understand how cord prolapse happens. Explain, explain. Well, if I mean, yes, there is a risk when when a woman's water breaks that if the baby is not in optimal position, there's space that the cord could come out with the gush of water. So it is, you know, generally recommended that after water breaks, you check for fetal heart rate and make sure that, you know, that hasn't happened. That's just kind of like standard. But after your water's been broken, it's not like being upright and walking around that the cord is just going to fall out at any moment. Well, plus the head is there typically. It's filling up well, the Yeah, space. so that's that's why it doesn't happen because the baby's well positioned. But if a baby's not well positioned, if the head is not engaged, if the baby's transverse, if the baby's breached, these are all risks for, you know, that increase the risk of cord prolapse. But just to say that because your water's broken, you can't be up and moving, that's, that's ridiculous. Did she achieve her goal of scaring you when she said that? Because that that kind of conversation is effective even when our head knows better. You're still looking at someone who looks yeah. honest. They look sincere and the, Oh, believe me, right. you don't want that to happen. And we immediately visualize yeah. it happening and we feel like, help me, save me. What do I have to do? So like, did it, did it have that effect of scaring you? Hey there, all you amazing, strong and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms to be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw-cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, 
easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed, a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. I, I, so this was what went through my mind at that point. So maybe I knew a little bit more than I like than I was leading on, but in my brain, I was like, okay, well, my waters are broken. It's 1am at this point. Labor hasn't started. I'm an early labor. I'm just going to relax. Like I'm going to lay down and try to sleep. So I wasn't necessarily, I, I can't remember if I was scared or not, but I remember having that thought process. Like, okay, that's fine. I'll just lay down and I'll try to rest. And I let my husband sleep on the crappy little couch. Um, and then here, here comes 6 a.m. and we have like a, sh- a shift change, right? And so I get I get a new nurse and she said exactly what you said, Trisha. She said, if cord prolapse was going to happen, it was going to happen. Like you don't need to be in bed. You can get up and move around. So I, I, I think I did wait for her permission though. I, you know, good girl mentality over here, like rule follower. Um, this is not one I wasn't fierce Lizzie yet. <laughs> don't know anything. Um, so at that point with that, with that new nurse, I, I, I did get up out of bed and I, I labor still hadn't really kicked off. I remember like I took a selfie of myself at 6am the timestamp says like 6am and I'm in the bathroom. I have the hospital gown on. And, um, and then I, I don't know what happened after that. Shortly after that labor starts. Um, and the, the reason she said I could get out of bed was because she brought the pit machine in. So I had been laying down for six hours in early labor and she says, contractions aren't really picking up. And she brought, she like brought in the, the, the pit like pump. And she's like, we, you know, you want, we might we want to, she did ask me, she was like, we might want to start some Pitocin. And she must've saw the look on my face because that was my goal. That was my new goal. No epidural, no Pitocin. That was it. That's all I was going for. Um, and she must have saw the look on my face because she was like, well, you don't, you don't have to. And then I and then I said, well, can I, you know, maybe if I get up and walk around, I knew that much from the previous midwife that I had at the hospital. And um, then she, that's when she said I could get out of the bed. And we th- that's what I did. I got up and walked around and my baby was born. So that was at 6 a.m. And then he was born at 1 p.m. So like a really fast labor, if you think about it. You had no Pitocin that second time. They so came, I had no they Pitocin. Came close. 
And it wasn't like nice of her to offer. She was following, she was barely, barely following the laws of informed consent by even hinting that you had a choice. She had to do actually far more than that to actually follow the law. But that's that little whisper of your having a choice spared you. And how many women, if they even had the first little 10% of the provider following informed consent laws, would they decline? And we would, it would help so many women. I do want our listeners to know that when your membranes release, first of all, it's not too common for a woman to have that experience multiple times. It only happens about 10 no. to 15% of the time. So for it to happen out of two births, that's like one to 2% of the time for one woman to have it for her first two births. But um, I want to just let everyone know that when your membranes release, it doesn't mean you need to go to the hospital. And this is typically what happens. You go there, they, they, you all believe you're in early labor or, and, or you all believe it's kind of unproductive. And then they bring in the Pitocin when really you need to be home resting, drinking water, et cetera. Even ACOG is saying, don't go to the hospital when your membranes released. There's no rush. We're talking GBS negative. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of that now? Do you look back on that differently and feel like you would have stayed home now? rather than going right to the hospital. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, and I, I also was GBS positive with, with, oh, so that. that is an exception to what we're saying that now you do have yes. higher, you're facing higher risk. Yes. If the baby isn't born within 18 hours of the membranes releasing. So there is that now yes. there's a little bit it, of a clock there. Yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to think, I was like, why was I hooked up to the, the IV pole? But it, that was it. it. That was the antibiotics and the antibiotics were like, <laughs> so uncomfortable. I was so shocked. I remember thinking like, how am I going to birth this baby unmedicated if this antibiotics burns so bad going in? It you does? Know? Uh, it, yeah, it does. They can slow it down. They can slow the drip down. I didn't know that. Um, so I had probably what, three doses of that? Cause they would have dosed me like right when I got there and then maybe a couple more times. So that birth, again, I got to my goal of unmedicated, but I was told to stay in bed. I was almost given Pitocin. I, um, the coached pushing again, you know, and on, on back. my back and legs. Yep. Up. Yep. I, yeah. I, yeah. I think so. So with this baby, the, the coached pushing, it was so they were, I mean, they were doing the whole nine, like hold your breath, pull your legs. I burst every blood vessel in my face. So I looked like I had, I already have a face full of freckles, but I had like my full face, all the blood vessels look like I had, you know, 10 times the freckles that I naturally have, um, which is like, is cool. Look at me in the, my swollen face because I had all these fluids from the antibiotics and all these broken blood vessels, like the pictures of me with holding him that, that time. I'm like, I don't like them. Like they just, you know, you were forced to do something that was uncomfortable, unnatural. And then you had, you had consequences of it. From and that's, that's avoidable. Yeah. Um, can we just acknowledge how very cool it is that he was born on January 1st? Yes. It's such a cool yeah. birthday. He's my, he's my new year's day baby. And that's the, one of the, you know, least populated yeah. birthdays because of, of all the inductions the week it's, before. Right? Yes. Yes. Oh, and here's the funny thing too, is I, I had an OB that time. Uh, we didn't have any midwives in town. So I would have had to like, one, know, know what I was doing. And two, like go have that, that desire to search, like to travel right for my birth. Uh, again, I didn't know anything, but he, he missed my birth because it was new year's and he was coming back new year's day. And he, I guess was already back in town. He missed me. 
And there was two other moms, or maybe it was three other moms, all his clients that he missed, all born on New Year's Day. So we didn't even have the first baby of the year, which we thought we were going to have, but we didn't. (laughs) They they beat they beat me to it. (laughs) Um and then okay, so I have these two birth experiences where I I technically reached my goal both times, right? No epidural for the first, no epidural, no pitocin for the second. And still I'm kind of left. Well, I get, I get pregnant again, which is what's getting kind of my mind moving. And it was actually the second birth and the second postpartum experience that propelled me into doula work. So it was this, I mean, this is a long story in itself, but a combo of not great experiences with trying to go back to work, um, which led to a mental breakdown, (laughs) um, reasonably so you can't just, you can't just yada, yada, (laughs) mental breakdown. Are you serious? Oh, it's did, more. You did you actually? Yeah. Yeah. What are you so, talking about what happened? So I, so, well, I mean, all, all of these things, right. It, it was, I went back to work. I think he was like four months old and I never did that with my, with my daughter. I stayed home for a whole year, you know, almost like a year and a half. I stayed home and then I had like started my career and now I'm trying to go back to my career as a mom of two. Um, And I just, it wasn't, I wasn't handling it well. I was trying to pump, pumping wasn't going well. I was just so skinny because I was so stressed out and I was losing all this weight. Um, And I lasted, I lasted because I was a teacher. So I went back for like a month and then we had break. And then I tried to go back in the fall um, and I lasted six weeks. And when I I did have a mental breakdown, I went to work and I, I couldn't go into work. I could not get out of my car <laughs> and walk into my classroom. I also didn't like my job. What happened? What do you mean um, you couldn't walk in? Just, just what was happening for you? Did you start crying? Did you freeze? What happened? Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia Cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com. And use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. 
Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. Oh yeah. I was crying on my way to work almost every day for probably a month before, before this, this instance. And this, the, it was on a Friday. My husband was out of town. So I had, I think he was out of town I think it had only, he was supposed to be out of town for two weeks. So I'm not sure if, the, if I was the Friday at the end of two weeks of basically being like a single mom who was already having a hard time before, you know, with, the, with my husband there. Um, or if I did one week and I mean, crying every day, going to work, not wanting to go, not wanting to pump, being overwhelmed, not wanting to even be at my job anymore. Um, wanting to be home, (laughs) you know, and that event of that Friday where I drove to work and then I left, I didn't tell anyone where I was going. That was my mental breakdown. I mean, I had 30 kids standing outside my classroom wondering like where their teacher was high school kids. So they're fine. Um, they were probably, they were probably thrilled. Kids. They were like, sweet, day off. Oh, what happened next? You I just you just finish out that story a little bit. You drove away from work. Okay, and what yeah, happened? No, this Did is... you get a call from the principal? So, I mean, what, ha- what happened? Did you quit that day? So I, 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 yeah, basically, I mean, it was a long drawn out process of quitting, right? Because, um, so that yeah. day left and they like, I turned my phone off because I didn't want anybody like knowing what was going on. And I, I mean, cry for help, right? Like somebody help me. Um, I know like they call, they tried to call my phone and then they called my mom, who's my emergency contact. And then my mom called me and then I, I didn't drive very far. I drove, I drove just like where our school was located. It was like on the edge of town. And my sister just lives like, like 20 minutes away. And I drove, I ended up driving to her house and just crying on her couch. I'm going to, I don't want to cry now because I'm going to not be able to talk, but, um, (laughs) um, what we did like with my job is I, next week, don't show up. We got you covered for next week. This is fine. We'll figure out what to do. And I ended up like, I, I actually had an appointment with my OB for something else. I can't even remember. So I was like, cool. Next week I have this appointment. I'm going to go talk to him. I found out through like the union that you can get leave like um, FMLA. So leave if you have postpartum depression to recover. And so I went to him and I said, look, here's what's happening. I can't do this. I'm crying in his office. He's handing me a tissue. I just need you to write a note so that I can take some leave. Like, I just need a break. Like I can't be at work. And he said, well, this is how it is being a mom. And, um, I can write you a prescription for Zoloft. That's what he said. And that was on Thursday. And he just like crushed, crushed me. Like, I was like, that's it. This is the end of the road. Like I have to go to work and to, and you know, on Monday, like, what am I going to do? And I called my mom and she said, absolutely not. <laughs> She's like, go find someone that will write you that note. And so I ended up calling um, a naturopath and she just happened to have an appointment that next day. It was like divine. And so I went and saw her. And I mean, if anyone's never had a, an appointment with a naturopath or like a midwife, the difference night and day 
her response was, wow, like, of course you're feeling this way. And what do you think is going on? And what do you think you need as she's just writing my note? No problem. You know? Um, so got the note, went on the extended leave. I took six weeks. And then at the end of six weeks, um, I was like, I can't go back. <laughs> and at that, at that, at that week that I was supposed to go back, my husband actually, um, his job changed and he was going to be commuting full-time for work where he would leave on a Monday and come back on a Thursday. And I said, Oh heck no, <laughs> like there's no way, there's no way that I can do this. And so I went back into HR and, and, um, ended up taking a leave of absence until the next school year. And then I found out I was pregnant again, like a month or two after that. And then we were also moving. So then at that point I resigned and it was that experience though, that, that made me become a doula. And that now that's what I do. (laughs) I never went back to teaching. It's like you were coping and coping and keeping your chin up and going through the motions. And finally you have these moments where like everything just, all the layers peel off and it's like, all right, maybe I need to get honest about this experience that I just went through. Oh, absolutely. And, and it was such a long drawn out process when I knew from like day one, it was, I don't want to be here, but I had to like take the leave (laughs) and then, um, take a leave of absence. And then, because I didn't want to disappoint my job, like, please, (laughs) you know, they had me replaced like that and I don't even exist to them anymore. Anyways, the best thing that could have ever happened to me, because it's all of those things put me exactly where I am right now, where I get to work with women and and be a doula and I get to homeschool my kids. And those are all things I dreamed about when I had, well, maybe not being a doula because I didn't know what a doula was right when I was, when I had my first child, but like, I always wanted to homeschool. And now that experience really was what I needed because I was such a people pleaser and I, and I have to do the right thing and I have to be good at my job. I needed that like shaking to make that huge pivot. It's, it's so, so I'm thankful for that experience. It's so interesting what it takes for so many of us to make a course correction in life. You know, you, you probably knew in your heart for so long that you were in the wrong Absolutely. place. You know, the, this is those little huh? whispers, just crying on the day, on the way to work every day. And you probably knew that long before you even started crying on the way to work every day. It's like, mm-hmm. we just have to get to such an extreme place before we feel like we can um, give ourselves permission to make change, I guess, because we feel like we're letting people down or we should be able to do it all. Or like your OB's comment that, you know, gets ingrained in our brain. Oh, this is just what mom life is, you know, deal with it. Were you, was your son only like six months old when you found out you were pregnant again? It was actually the day after his first birthday. Okay. So So you were now becoming fierce, right? Okay. Yes. Yes. Left my job, like started doula training um, and was able to reflect back on those birth experiences and, and see like, okay, what I thought was like, wow, I had this really empowering birth. Like it felt empowering, but like really if we look at, what the definition of empower is. It's like to give someone the authority. And I absolutely did not have the authority in any of those births, right? It was my water's breaking had the authority because we need to get the baby out in 24 hours. You know, everything that happened to me in my birth was not a decision that I made. 
So when I was pregnant with my third and I'm in the birth world, I said, I'm having a home birth. There's no way I'm having a home birth. Like, this is what we're doing. Call the home birth midwife. And I live in the Bay Area of California, just to preface this. It was going to cost $7,000 out of pocket for my home birth. And I was like, I can't, I can't pay $7,000 for a home birth. So I, I okay, I guess I'm, I'm going to have this hospital birth now. And this time I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. I'm not going to let anyone push me around. It's going to be my way. And that really also like drove me to like do a lot more research and really like research the hospital birth and like, okay, what does the home birth look like? And what does the hospital birth look like? And how can I get as close to what I want with a home birth in that hospital setting? So that's what I ended up doing. I didn't even like call an OB until I was like 20 weeks when I wanted my, my 20 week scan. So they were pretty like, okay with me declining things. There was still some things that came up like with my, with my glucose test. I was like, you know what? And I still am not fierce yet. I still said, you know what? That's going to make me sick. I'm going to throw up. So is there an alternative? And they said, you'll be fine. Just eat something before. So there's still these things happening, you know, and I'm just kind of skirting by them as people pleasing as I, as I can, you know, like in the least confrontational way. And I ended up, my waters didn't break. So that was good. My waters didn't break before labor started. And I ended up having a precipitous labor. So labor started I was putting my son to bed and he, I nursed him through the whole pregnancy. He's nursing to sleep. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm getting like all these contractions. I got up as soon as he fell asleep and went to the bathroom and I had my bloody show. And then the contractions just started kind of like stacking up and I ended up going in. Um, I did get a cervical check when I was admitted and I was two centimeters. And she says, you know, you can go home. You can walk around a little bit. She's like, well, let's just keep, let's just monitor the baby for a little bit longer before we we decide. And um, I'm like, lady, you're crazy. I am in transition. This does not feel like early labor. There's no way I'm having shakes. Like this is transition. I'm like, what do I do? Um, and then she kind of was like, well, like, it doesn't look like the baby's tolerating contractions very well, which I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't know. I don't know. But she, that was her deciding factor of like, well, we can go ahead and admit you. Cause it looks like baby's not managing contractions very well. Um, so we get in to a room and I'm like, I need to be in that shower. I beeline like a beeline to the shower. And then I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I asked for the epidural all three times with all, <laughs> with all of my the, birth. The point when a woman is between eight and 10 centimeters, reaching that, that point of full dilation is often when Mm-hmm. It happens all the time. Yes. And and I tell my clients this too. Like you will get to the point. You feel like giving up. I teach my clients, you may ask for medication. You might say, I'm out of here. It can also be conviction that you simply cannot do it. That's, and it can mm-hmm. manifest mm-hmm. in many various ways. Yes. So anyways, ask, ask for the epidural. Well, actually you're complete. So that was 45 minutes after I was two centimeters. Wow. And like, no wonder I felt like I couldn't do it. Look at what my freaking service was doing. Then I like pushed a little bit and she just flew right out. Um, but yeah. And then they were like, okay, well we need to do your intake forms <laughs> after the baby was born. They like hadn't done anything yet because no time. it was all so fast. Yeah. So, you know, that was really the, the best experience that, that that's what I wanted. I wanted to walk into the hospital and I wanted her to be born like immediately. I wanted to walk in 
ready to push. Um, and, and that's exactly, that's what happened. I mean, it could have been better. Like if I was at home, right. I still, I'm like, maybe if we get pregnant again, which is very likely to not happen, but yeah, I mean, just that it's possible to, to have a birth that's more supportive of what you want in the hospital, that it is possible that you can do it, but you can't just like walk in expecting it to just happen. It's really important that moms understand that and feel confident in their ability to do that because home birth is really not an option for many people for various reasons. Um, It is possible to have a totally autonomous Mm -hmm. birth in a hospital, but it takes a lot of commitment. It's not just going to happen by chance. Yeah. I mean, some people just get lucky, you know, there are some, there's, there are those, those cases, you get the right nurse, you get the right day, you get the right circumstances mm-hmm. of labor mm-hmm. and it's very low intervention, but most of the time that is not the case. And it, you really do need to know how you're going to enter that space and what you're going to do to keep your power in your hands, because at every step of the way, somebody is trying to take it away from you. Yeah. So when was Fierce Lizzie born? And I don't mean the brand. I mean the woman. You know, it was like this process. Like, did it actually happen after your third birth when it all started to click? Or was it in your third pregnancy? When do you feel like Fierce Lizzie was born? Well, I think it's like such a gradual thing. And I think it's still it's still happening. Like as I become older and wiser and have more experience and do more research, it's just this gradual shift from like this is how you're supposed to do it to like hold on no wait what do what do i want what do i want to do and i mean really every day i turn a little more into my my goal of my persona of fierce lucy thanks for joining us at the down to birth show you can reach us at down to birth show on instagram or email us at contact at down to All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. All right, so I'm Lizzie. Sorry. AKA. Sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> she, was, she was quiet for the past 15 minutes and now she you was. Know, no, I was talking to you guys and my microphone was on mute and I'm like, can you just hear? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it was adding to the conversation. You're kidding. You guys I just no kept idea. on talking. <laughs> of course we did. And we were quiet. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> my microphone's on mute. It's Bollinger. Bollinger. N- you're doing it again. <laughs> You're doing it again. It's not. It's say it again. No, Trish. I didn't put an N in there. Oh, I thought you did. Say it again. Bollinger. 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 <laughs> <laughs>